Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Thursday morning. We're excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. Yeah, and boxing. Gotta say it nowadays after Big Fran and everything he's done and the buzz still surrounding that. I'm sure we'll touch on that. Still a few stories coming out of his camp about his future. Others as well from the PFL. So got to talk about it. And, of course, the latest news in mixed martial arts. We have an event in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Little controversy with one of the guys in the main event, Derek Lewis, speeding out in the, in the streets of Houston or something. I don't know. He needs to be careful, man. We love that guy, and uh, I'd hate to see him go back to a place he once uh, swore he'd never like to go back. If you know the history, you know what I'm talking about. We also have to. Uh, we also have a, a chat with Jason Jackson about uh, his upcoming welterweight title challenge versus Yaroslav Amosov at Bellator 301 on November 17th, and we'll start the show. All right, guys, since, since it's just kind of what we've been talking about. Let's keep going with the theme here. Francis Ngannou, he is an MMA fighter. He wants to come back to MMA. Um, it does involve boxing. Oh, I didn't stick with it. Come on. We got some other MMA stuff coming up. But Big Fran, man, let me ask you one quick question, and then we'll talk about his future. Even though he boxed, but because and also along with John Jones having only fought very little time at heavyweight after three years, and it doesn't look like he's going to be fighting for about another year. Did Francis just kind of keep that title of the baddest man on the planet? I don't think he ever lost it. I thought uh, I thought it was his. Like One thing that kind of sticks out in my mind is, if you look at the situation, could John Jones have done something like that? No, I, I don't think he could have. I think that really came down to Francis no. and Gunner. I mean... I, I don't think so either. I agree. I, I, you asked me the same question. I'm answering the same way. But isn't that kind of what we said about Francis was, oh, he's got a puncher's chance. If he connects, yeah, sure, maybe 5%. But uh, the sweet science is the sweet science. These guys have been doing it forever. If they come to our sport, they give up. We were all kind of saying it about a week ago. Yeah, but I think um, you see how big Francis is, and then you see how mm. big John Jones is. Francis is bigger than John Jones. If you look at uh, like the mass that he carries, um, he would have been tiny out there against Fury. Like it, it just wouldn't have worked out. Like I think uh, what he was able to accomplish in mixed martial arts, and then to go over to boxing and do that. Like I said, I felt like he never even lost that title, and if anything, he cemented it. He kind of yoked up. I think he even weighed more than Cyril Gunn when they fought, didn't he? I mean, and he's got that reach. He just Dumb doesn't have that power. Yeah, you need that you in know, the heavyweight but... division. Yeah, well, I, I I think John Jones would have lost to France, uh, Tyson Fury, but um, man, Francis taught me a lesson, you know, in terms of just I I just didn't give him no chance. I, I think most of us were willing to mortgage our house. Well, I guess we would have won. We would have kept the house, but 
you know, by a split decision. That would have been the scariest. Mm-hmm. That would have been the closest I came, I came to being without a home. Um, anyway, I guess what I meant, too, was he hadn't fought for almost two years, and John did come in and just black. See, now I'm going to sound like a John Jones supporter. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Jones hadn't fought for three years. He was the greatest light heavyweight of all time, possibly the greatest fighter of all time with the greatest accolades of all time. And then he wins that other title so easy over a guy that Francis, I know he had the injury, but he went to the fifth round to eke that out. And he almost hadn't fought in two years. So I think that was a decent case for those that were saying, I think John's the baddest man on the planet. And that's why I said I used the word reclaim. For many, look, if you don't beat Francis, you can't reclaim it. But if he's also not in the UFC, you can't fight him. So I guess that's why I love the question that way. You got to look at what what got Francis to that moment in the heavyweight division. You know, he has a history. And then he went on and won the title um, and defended. With John Jones, it's like he just waltzed right in, you know, and just beat one guy. Like, I don't know that that tells us everything. He beat a, a good fighter, but it's it's not a fighter that, that um, I probably would have given him more props of beating maybe a guy like Stipe Miocic, but a guy like Cyril Gaon, if you look at his record, he doesn't really have that many fights. Now, he was at the top at one point. You can't argue that, and the way John Jones just dismantled him was impressive, but he has no history in the division, you know? So it's like, what do you, you're basically basing everything off of what he's done in the lightweight, light heavyweight division, and then to come over in the heavyweight and do something pretty, pretty shocking. That's great, but I just need to see more of them at that level to really say, like, this guy's the greatest man that ever lived. Mm. Sucks he'll be out for a whole year. And, um, but yeah, I, I I think if he never lost it, then he cemented it because he can get down in the boxing ring, he can get down in the MMA cages, octagons, decagons, smart cages, whatever. And I definitely wouldn't want to face Francis and Gano in the street. Imagine how terrifying that would be. And Jones can't do nothing about it. He only has that one fight. By the time he fights in five years, it's just kind of hard to, I guess, back him for that unofficial title. All right. So now Francis is saying, step aside, Usage. I want to rematch Fury. I hear him. Uh, that fight was fun. We're still talking about, you know, the residual from that fight right now. But I don't think that's right. Um, that guy's a proper number one contender. He deserves his shot. One could say he steps a step to side already one time. And after how Fury looked this past weekend, uh, Usage is a live dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a tough and Think one. about it. If Usage does step aside, what if Francis wins the trilogy? That guy's going to be stepping aside for a while. It's just not the way things work, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Usage is a bigger man than I think, but I, I, I wouldn't blame him one bit if he were to say, nah. Yeah, and I don't think he should. Um, the one thing that we did learn was that Francis's next fight doesn't necessarily have to be an MMA. Like He's contracted to have certain fights, but it doesn't mean that it has to be the next one. So that door is open. 
look, man, I think maybe I'm in the minority in this opinion, but I just feel like he can build that fight up a little bit more. Um, but, you know, if he got a pretty decent payday and it's that whatever he got this last time, when it's all said and done, you add in your sponsorships, everything, um, it's going to be probably double that, I would imagine, for a rematch. I think you just t- maybe you take that money and you run. But I honestly think if he goes back to MMA and just grabs even one, two wins, that law lo- that I call it a loss because really it should feel like a loss for Tyson Fury. It's gonna mm-hmm. fester. It's gonna fester in him. It's gonna be if he goes on and he beats Usyk, even if he mops the floor with him, I I promise you the first question's not gonna be about that. It's gonna be about Francis. You know that that's just gonna live on and that's gonna build and build and and he can get that fight. I think it's bigger if he waits just a little bit. I'm not saying wait a year or anything like that, but I think it could build up a little bit. Um, especially, I mean, look, man, we're we've already had our show after that fight. We're still mm-hmm. talking about it. A lot of people mm-hmm. are still talking about it. It's a big deal. So uh, I, I think he could build a little bit to it and get that rematch. Mike Tyson thought he won, but to be fair, he was part of Team Mangani. Teddy Atlas thought Fury uh, uh, beat um, Mangani. Joe Rogan thought Mangani beat Fury. And and, and I, I bring up Teddy Atlas because even though he supports Fury, you could tell he loves MMA too. So I feel like he's someone that keeps it real. Um, but he did say that he thought that his boxing was compromised mentally a little bit. Joe Rogan wants he he thinks one of the judges to be should be launched from the planet, the one that had it 96 to 93 Fury. Um I wouldn't go that far, but I thought I thought 94, 95 either way was probably accurate. So 96, 93 is only off one round, to be fair. And some of those rounds were really, really close. Timothy Bradley thought Nganu won. It's pretty split, and maybe Fury will feel that. But I think he's just contractually as champ has to fight usage. And I think that gives Francis the opportunity to go to the PFL. But here's where it gets confusing, goes. PFL founder Don Davis, he says that there's not an interesting opponent for uh, Nganu. Now, part of me respects that honesty from, you know, one of the top brass over there at PFL. For him to say, you know what? We don't have a quality heavyweight to give this monster. And I'm not just going to go the cheap route and feature this monster steamrolling one of our fighters, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, adding stuff there to what he actually said. But th- that's what he said um, in an inter- interview that he did was he cast out on Francis returning to MMA because opponents are not interesting right now. So that almost gives Francis that opening to pursue the Fury rematch. Now, again, I think Fury does fight usage, and I would like to see Ngannou get one fight in. Verdum, JDS, uh, I, I know I've said Rothold the other day, but he's with BKFC. That ain't happening. Or just one of the guys, maybe the winner of Henan Fajeda and uh, Dennis Goldsloff are the two guys that are competing in the in the finals. Maybe one of those guys just looks so outstanding. They got to run it. I, I, you know, as much as I appreciated Don Davis, I also appreciate Dana White where some things he says aren't as genuine maybe, mm-hmm. but he lifts his promotion. You got to lift your promotion too, you know, um, I think the winner of that fight that I mentioned against Francis Ngannou would be fair. Uh, and and yeah. the timeline would work, and then later on in the year, him versus Fury. I think what Ngannou realizes is that if he does return to boxing, 
I think he does want to go for a strap. And now it'll be held for usage. And I think he's keeping it real. He he probably knows that's probably a t- tougher fighter with than Fury because he's been in there with Fury. He's felt Fury. And even though that might not have been the best Fury, we'll say, it probably also wasn't the best Nganu because Nganu will do another six-month camp. Um, mm-hmm. But at least he's felt him, you know, and so he, he's got to have a little confidence from that. Yeah, and I agree with all that. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so let's switch over to Sao Paulo, sticking with the heavyweights. The uh, Black Beast, Derek Lewis, is facing Jailton Almeida in the main event at the fight night coming up. I think it's 311 in Sao Paulo. And so the winner, I, I can't say it puts Lewis in, in a position. He's been a title challenger a couple times, come up short. But Jelton Almeida is, is really, really flying high. He's saying that if he fights Lewis, he's willing to fight, fly to New York and be the backup for Aspinall and Pavlovich. I thought, okay, throwing it out there in the universe, pretty cool. Making it happen? Well, look, if you take down the Black Beast and strangle him and nothing happens to you and you're healthy, okay, go out there and maybe earn that paycheck. That might be pretty cool as well. Um. But do you think he's there? Like, is he a title challenger now? I mean, I guess he is like five, six, and zero in the UFC. Yeah, and and I think it's good enough to be the the backup. But that's the thing is like you don't have to anymore really in the UFC. That's it's become kind of a wild west, and I don't see why the UFC wouldn't be down with that plan for him to to go out there. The thing that kind of sucks is for the first time in a long time, I feel like we have these these guys that just show a lot of promise in the heavyweight division. And I hate that they're going to end up picking each other off because of the situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, I think he, he has earned at least being the backup in that situation. And I think it's something that he's got to say, I think he should be willing to do that. That's uh, and it's actually a scenario that you could see against a guy like Derek Lewis, like Derek Lewis isn't really known for his, five round wars or anything like that right it's usually a quick night whether it goes in his direction or it doesn't so it's actually very possible that that could happen especially when you consider you know what's going on behind the scenes with Derek Lewis which we'll probably get to in a little bit here yeah well I made a 6-0 in the UFC he's 19-2 and overall he's look good uh, this would be a nice feather in his cap if he can get it done especially if he can finish him and do it and get out of there unscathed. Uh, I think a lot of people would be like, okay, we got a player now. We got to lump him in there with Aspinall and Sergey. They're getting it done a different way. They're getting it done with their hands. But uh, this guy's really, really smooth on the ground. And yeah, regarding Derek Lewis, so he was caught going, what, 136, 133 in a 50 mile an hour zone? What, evaded police for a little bit, but then pulled over? Was that the story? I don't. I didn't hear the evaded police part, but uh, or did yeah, he just the, get? Okay, that's just yeah. Uh, apologize to way, our way, way, way too fast, man. I mean, given just alone in our sport, the history of people that have been in that situation has not been good, and uh, yeah, I don't know what got into him. You know, it's, there's no other way of saying it other than that that was a bonehead decision that that was wrong. And I hope to God he never does anything like that again. I like the guy. I want him to be around. And mm-hmm. not just that, but, I mean, 
you know, that can affect other people as well. Yeah. So let me correct something. He made unsafe lane changes. So I guess he wasn't, and, and he did weave in and out of traffic, um, but he was going 136 in a 50 mile an hour zone. So I guess I can't call that an, an actual car chase, but that's what he was doing before he got pulled over. But he was arrested, man. He was arrested, released. Now he's got that fight. He gets the fight international. I imagine that might have been a little complicated because at that point, um, even though he put up a bond, uh, he's he's due back in court, right, to face the repercussions. I don't want to say sentencing or anything like that because I think if they let him go out of the country, I think what's going to happen is heavy fines or whatever. But at that moment in time, he was arrested and charged with a misdemeanor. Um, 86 miles an hour. He, he, I hope he gets a judge that has... There's just no way... There's no correct way of saying um a, a friendly judge because that really is uncalled for that's 86 miles 100 dude what was it that henry ruggs went 180 miles an hour here in las vegas and that resulted like in a that. death a death yeah. of a, a female a dog a car exploded um a lot went down think about and, uh mask from tap out you know that's that's how he passed away yeah you know okay i guess what i'm trying to say is had he been doing this at 3 a.m., not drunk, he's on the freeway, no one on the freeway, he decided to test it, some cop caught him. But when I read weaving in and out of traffic, I thought, whoa, like, that's really risky. Mm -hmm. That's really risky and foolish. Um, I, I can't believe they let him out of the country, honestly, um, because that's just poor lapse of judgment. I don't want the fight to get taken away from him. I enjoy watching him fight, and I'll enjoy this fight. It already happened, but um, I've seen other scenarios like this, and I think he caught a break. Big time. Big time. I mean, like, that's just uncalled for, dude, on so many levels. You know, like, let's just let's play the game for a second. Like you said, on the freeway, wanted to push it, driving from L.A. to... To Vegas, you know, where you have these long straightaways. Um, but how about the fact that you got to fight? You know, like that. There's just so many reasons why this is such a a bad idea. So whatever judge he does get, yeah, man, you better hope that guy's having the greatest day of his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 you know, for a while there, I think we were close to the Black Beast. We went on a military trip with the Black Beast. When he sees us. He, pull, he pulls over and says, hello, how you been? All that stuff. Um, but the reality is we cover him, right? He's not like a pal, pal. Uh, but he is someone I think we care for, you know, above like other fighters where we may just interview them and that's it. We have spent some time with him and he likes junkie. But this is just something that I know he would, think is wrong if he read about somebody else doing it it is there's just no way around it but the fight goes the fight's going on this weekend against jelton almeida i think almeida's got like i say title implications for lewis i think it's a paycheck that's what he wants if somehow he can manufacture a run like beating this guy and you know, I, I don't think he would. What I'm trying to say is, I don't think he would mind fighting for a title again. I just don't see it in his future because he's had a few shots and he's also now, since then, had a few losses. 
but he's just been a name for such a long time. I can't imagine he's ever too far from a title shot. Not trying to put him in the Conor McGregor territory at all, but he just, you know, he, when he had that three-fight losing streak to Spivac, Pavlovich, and to Ivasa, I thought, ooh, could this be the end? And then all of a sudden he threw that. Remember that flying knee against Marcos Rogério de Lima? Man. Um, so it's like he can just pick himself up in incredible ways, and he's up there with the KO record, and the Black Beast is just never never out of it as a as a main eventer. That's why you see a main event a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he's super marketable. Um, um, they like him. They gave him a fat contract. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I the other day, I, th- I don't know where it came up. I may have heard Chael say it, but Pavlovich was training to be the backup for the Miocic-Jones fight. So he had a camp going. Aspinall, I'm sure he was training, but was he in an intense training camp? Because... Do we have another situation where Kamaro against Usman, you know, two weeks out, or the other one, Volkanovski versus, like, are we getting our hopes a little high? Now, to be fair, Aspinall's the favorite, for crying out loud. Not by much, but he is. But I'm just wondering, like, are we getting a cheaper version of what should be a prime fight between two heavyweight killers, the, the next generation? I think we are to a certain extent. But the one division where you could maybe give that a pass is heavyweight, just mm-hmm. because so much of what goes on in that division ends so early in the night. You know, we don't really have too many heavyweight five round wars. So if you're going to give it a pass, it might be this one. But yeah, I, there's an argument to that for sure. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I hope Aspinall was training and I hope he just turned it on these last few weeks. But after seeing what, you know, I think Usman with a full camp probably beat Shemaev. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Volk with a full camp just looks better. But I still think he would have lost to Makashev. But maybe he looks like they did in the first fight. I don't know. Maybe he beats him. Who knows? But you could tell there was a difference between the Volk that showed up a few weeks ago and the one that fought in Perth. Something you definitely have to consider, especially when you look at the individuals. These are two guys who probably haven't really cashed massive paychecks yet. You know, where you uh, uh, fighters who who maybe have would say, eh, I'm going to pass. You know, I, I have my money. I'm not worried about that. These two guys, you have no idea what kind of dollar signs could have been thrown their way where a decision any other time where they might have said, oh, man, I, you know, I, I prefer to kind of keep things intact and, and really yeah. be prepared. You throw a giant dollar sign at somebody like that, they might just say, all right, let's do it. And so who who knows? There's something to be said to that, I think. I think some of this gets lost when Dana says, see, in the UFC, our fighters are always ready to cover. And I, sorry, always ready to compete. And I love that about these guys. And, and I think you can get away with it because every once in a while, those guys that show up on late notice produce. But when they mm-hmm. don't, you're just felt with, you're just left with this, bitter taste in your mouth of what could have been you know what i mean that's yeah. the part that sucks again going back to uh other sports let's say goes as commanders defeat the 49ers uh and to advance to the super bowl against the dolphins and for whatever reason eh, the commanders can't go so now we pull the 49ers who got beat 42 10 you know and we just fight the Dolphins. Well, we weren't the best team in the NFC, 
And now after we lost, we all kind of went on vacation. And like on Wednesday or Thursday, they called us and said, hey, we need you guys. And we got 10 days because it's two weeks in between the Super Bowl. And by then, you know, it's like, oh, you know, a couple guys fell out of shape. They just don't feel right. And now the team that lost 10 to 42, 42, 10 is going to go play the Dolphins when the team that won 42, 10, they just, you know, they're not ready to go. Or whatever. That, that's what this feels like to me as a guy that loves sports in general. When I see somebody coming in on late notice, now when the 49ers pull it off, then you got you got uh, the, you know the commissioner up there saying, "You see, I told you this is why it's the greatest sport in the world." But that doesn't happen that often. When it does, yeah. you can say that, and then you get this feeling like, "Oh, maybe that's just the way it should be." A fight's a fight. If you're ready to fight, you're ready to fight. Guess what? A fight is a fight. All right. When a fight happens in the schoolyard, in a bar, whatever, that's the fight at that moment. Two guys that may not have even known each other bumped into each other at the bar, at the you know the pool hall or whatever, and it goes down. This is a fight technically, but there's some. This is a sport too. There's something to the preparation that leads to the fight, so we can see the best of fighter A versus the best of fighter B, minus some injuries, some non-serious injuries that they all pick up in the camp, you know, but don't preclude them from fighting, and then they fight. When you don't get that and it doesn't pull off, I, I'm still I'm still feeling it goes um, from UFC 294 a few weeks ago. Yeah, because it was very evident. Um, I mean that the case can be argued here, I, I, and I do get that, but I don't know if it's as uh, egregious as it was a couple weeks ago. But it, it can be made here. Yeah. Well, Good thing is you feel like they have a little bit of. Uh, longer of a shelf life you know with kamaru usman i feel like uh losses matter so much more right now for a guy like him you know and even though he did suffer a loss i, I don't even know that we really look at it that way and i don't i hope the ufc doesn't either but think of the tentacles that this thing has right mm -hmm. um because Drico's duplessis couldn't turn it around in less than two months he's in some sort of a doghouse and then because Hamza Shemaev, really, I think it was more for Usman. Because Usman stepped late, he got some sort of a guarantee that if he got past Shemaev, he could fight for a title. So that's kind of screwing DDP, if you think about it, right? He's still paying the repercussions from not being able to turn it around and fight against Adesanya when, man, everyone thought he was going to get his ass kicked by Robert Whitaker, and he actually pulled it off. He should have been rewarded for a title shot. Two months is kind of a lot to ask, but because Dana White says, I love it when fighters step up and this and that or whatever, you see Strickland going, that guy didn't earn it. Most fans are going, that guy didn't earn it. You know, it's like, I don't know, man. Sometimes those decisions have these repercussions that we feel months later. So now, you know, um, now DC's trying to start something with Connor, and if he comes back, he could go straight into the Makashev thing. You see all this Mickey Mouse and stuff that I'm talking about. Yeah. That that it 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 just I don't know when when it maybe when it happens once a year, you just go all right, you sweep it under the rug. But we had an off week, all right. We had an off week, and you know we had a lot of time for this to simmer, I guess. And it's been simmering with me, man. And I just been thinking about it, how these last few months just kind of fell apart. We didn't get DDP versus, um, Adesanya Strickland st stepped up. Granted, it wasn't 10 days. He at least got like just short of two months. Like I said, and he's always in shape when he fights frequently, he pulled it off. 
Um, but then Oliveira gets the gash, you know, over his eye, and now he mm. might lose his he might lose this thing. And you know, Gagey, same thing. He got the BMF. When can he cash in on that? You know, when when DC throws something out there like what he did with Connor. Aspinall versus Pavlovich for the interim title. Why? The winner doesn't get to fight the undisputed guy because they're preserving Miocic against Just John Jones. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of Mickey Mouse going on here in the UFC and well, in MMA, but mostly in the UFC. It's it's stupid. To be fair, though, do you want to be the guy that disrespects Stipe Miocic by asking him if he wants that fight? Do you want to disrespect him like that? Yeah, especially when the UFC is good at disrespecting fighters. All they had to do was call him. He might have said, hell yeah, I'll take it. Me, mm -hmm. who's been training, versus Pavlovich, who's been training. And then we serve, we reserve Aspinall off to the side. Okay, that's fair, you know. Mm -hmm. um, when And the winner fights Jones. And I mean, I could even go into another tirade as far as like why Jones just didn't get stripped. All the other guys got stripped when it was a serious injury. No, this one's eight months. It's not a year. It's eight months. <laughs> What's your cutoff? Is it nine months? Is it eight and a half months? Like this one sure just happened to be at the right time. You know, that, that's the frustrating part. I'm the biggest UFC fan on the planet, but it is frustrating to cover them, you know, as someone who works for a company that covers UFC. For sure. For sure. Because they, they want to treat you like you're stupid, you know? And we just aren't. I mean, it's, it's very clear I'm not saying they have to come out and say everything, but just don't treat us like we're morons either. If somebody goes, well, what's your fix? I'd say, okay, the Aspinall Pavlovich winner fights. Um, I'd say, I'd say Miocic for the vacant title. That's what I would say. The winner of that fight fights Miocic for the vacant because it's already made. I think Miocic is probably falling off his camp. So the winner of Aspinall versus Oh, sorry. And Pavlovich fights Miocic in about four months. The winner of that fight grants for the for the undisputed title. The winner of that fight grants John Jones the first title shot. I think he deserves that. That's how I fix that. As far as the UFC light heavyweight division, what would I do? Since they already committed to Oliveira, and he did prove it, it was just a careless, uh, you know, interaction in one of the final uh, training sessions that he had. Then I'd say, all right, I guess it's Oliveira versus Makashev. But if not, if Ma if Oliveira even says, let me think about it, I hang up on him and go, we're going with Gagey. Yeah. It's as easy as that. We're going with Gagey. He, he earned a spot. Remember, BMF, he's a champ, and he gets his title points. Middleweight division. What would I do there? Strickland versus DVP. Sorry, Shemayev. I know I said it. And I remember Dana White kind of leaving some sort of an out out there. Finally, he thank did. God. He did. And I'd say, Shemayev, you just... You didn't look that good. I don't think you're prepared. Pick up the fucking phone or FaceTime the guy and look him in the eye and just go, as your promoter, you know, you got the win. Congrats. We threw a, a wrench at you at the last moment. And, you know, cost is different from Kamaro, but you survived. I'm not questioning the, the call of the judges, but I don't feel that you're ready to fight for the title. You could benefit from one more fight. It'll probably be a main event of a fight night, you're going to go five rounds. Let's see what you got. You win that. You got the title shot. Okay, sure, or whatever. But you have to put him in there against the top five guy. Kamaru Usman is not a top five middleweight. He has a fight a top five middleweight. You do that, the five-round thing, you know you you know for a fact you need to address your cardio. But right now, with DDP beating Whitaker was damn impressive. He hasn't lost as a middleweight. 
that's just the fucking fight to make. Why is it so difficult, Ghost? Yeah. Make, yeah, make him fight Costa. Um, I, I don't see a problem with it. Like, dude, honestly, deep down inside, I don't even think Shamayev would have a problem with that. You know, like, I, I yeah. just think it kind of works out for everyone. That's two fights in a row The, the that were high-profile fights. One was Burns and one was Usman, where because he didn't ragdoll like he did Kevin Holland, um, you know, he got tested. And when he got tested, he showed chinks in the armor. Mm-hmm. And he definitely, I think we can all agree, even Shemaev, that he has to address cardio. All right, let's wipe the slate clean. Let's talk to our guest, Jason Jackson. He's fighting Yaroslav Emisov at Bellator 301. This could be the final fight for Bellator. I haven't heard anything about a Bellator 302 just yet. I looked on Tapology, nothing. So this is kind of, this could be the swan song here. And I believe, in fact, now that I think about it, Bellator officials, or who is it, Viacom Paramount, they stated that I think they seize operations at, at 2023. So something happens to that roster. It either goes to, uh, you know, under with PFL, they absorb it, they buy it, they maybe they fly it under its own banner. Who knows? We don't even know. Maybe the UFC comes in last minute and does what they did a long time ago, although they got litigation going, you know, that accuses them of doing this in the past and being a monopoly. I don't know. But still, lots to consider. Let's talk to Jason Jackson. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. Today, we get to talk to Jason Jackson, who's got a big fight coming up at Bellator 301. Uh, and that's on Friday, November 17th in Chicago, Illinois. Jackson challenges Yaroslav Amosov for the uh, Bellator welterweight title. What's going on, Jason? Been a long time since we caught up. What going, brother? Everything is Irish going everything is gone can't complain or bless to live in south florida yeah yeah i hear that's what i hear uh you're still with Cl- kill cliff right correct okay um so you've won six straight and you've looked amazing honestly i wanted to ask you the ed ruth fight which I guess it's going to be similar to this guy in that, you know, a guy that's primarily a wrestler who's, you know, highly accoladed. Could you point back to that fight almost and just say, I learned something from that fight and that's what made me a better fighter? Yeah, definitely. I learned a lot from that fight. That fight kind of teach me to be um, a mixed martial artist because I went into that fight a little one-dimensional. And I was, a, I was, I think I was a little bit timid to use my wrestling. And then once I figured out that I have to be a complete mixed martial, I started to win fight afterward. I just go in there all, all around and complete it, use everything. Is it almost a challenge when your wrestling does start working, your takedown, you know, your ability to get up, that now you almost throw a wrinkle in the game? What I've noticed is when a lot of strikers do build a formidable wrestling game, all of a sudden they want to show up their offensive wrestling. Well, wrestling is my base. Wrestling is my first art that I learned. And the fact that um, I never wrestled in college or whatnot, I didn't think I was a good wrestler. 
because I was wrestling against, I mean, fighting against guys that, you know, that done a, had a lot of credential, credential as far as wrestling goes. So, you know, I kind of leave that out a little bit and just kind of rely on my striking because I learned boxing afterwards. And then as I realized that, you know, it's not, it's not wrestling, it's mixed martial arts started capitalize on that just use everything because it makes everything a little more easier well you had me fooled i definitely would have thought striking would have been the first talent that you had because you're a really really good striker uh but that's that's great to know that wrestling i guess was where it all started and that's so that means you've embraced the grind and the weight cut and breaking people and trying to not get broken Right, right. And that's what I figure out. Um, wrestling kind of dictate the pace, you know, as as far as martial art. You know, if you want to stand up or if you don't want to go to the ground, you definitely have to embrace the grind, like you said. Hey, hey listen, um, how far back do you go with Kill Cliff, combat, you know, everything? I mean, was Rashad Evans almost one of the guys, one of the OGs that kind of helped you embrace that grind? Absolutely. Rashad Evans is like the one that actually kind of made me realize how to be a real mixed martial artist and how to put it back, how to put it together since the Black Zillion days, you know. So Rashad Evans is one of the guys that I have to give a lot of credit to to, to why I'm, I'm the mixed martial artist I am, you know. He teaches me how to put it together and how to strike, how to out of level change and fame. Yeah, Rashad, I give I have to give most of my credit to it, definitely. Since we're talking about OGs, um, how about Anthony Johnson? What give me a, something a good memory of him, a technique he taught you or something he might have said to you that you've carried with you all these years? Anthony Johnson is a role model. I always tell him and he look at me like I'm crazy because he is one guy that, you know, always just able to shock everybody and the power that he brings to the game you know that's that's like that's like i don't think you're not gonna see that in nobody you know and that guy like he hit so hard i used to spar with him and move around with him and it just made me like overcome a lot of fear like if i could stand and move around with anthony rumble then i shouldn't have no fear with no one else so you know, that, that reminds me of Anthony Johnson a lot. And, of course, I'm sure you know this, but he was once at 170. Can you believe that? Ridiculous. I can't believe it up to this day. Yeah, that is a that is a, a car crash, except as big as he was, it was almost like you're running into a semi and you're the car. <laughs> a lot of people I'm, don't remember that, that part of his I, career. I'm happy that. He was around when I was around at 170. That guy yeah. got some crazy power. Yeah, you know, it's fun to reminisce. Um, that team is now probably about 12 years old. But if we tie it into John Jones, it's funny how that split between Rashad Evans and John Jones produced this massive, successful team that is now called Kill Cliff. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of people may not know that history, but, uh, you know, that, that rivalry spawned something pretty special. Right, definitely. Well, you know, everything happened for a reason. Nothing never happened, you know, 
for yeah. a, a purpose. You know, everything I've heard. For sure. Jason Jackson joining us here on MMA Junkie Radio. He fights at Bellator 301 on November 17th. It's a Friday, and Showtime's got you covered. This is the main event, and Jackson will be challenging Yaroslav Amosov for his welterweight title. All right, goes. what do you have for Jason Jackson? Jason, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the journey and getting to this moment? Were you happy with the way everything went down, and, and now where it's at? time and place did it all just kind of fall into sort of the plan that you had in your head when you envisioned this moment well i'm excited and i have no complaint whatsoever the the road that i had to take to get here because like i said everything happened for a reason and you know i had to work and earn my my um title shot and when i go out there you know a man who earned his way here is not gonna just give it all up. You had to kill me to get it from me because it wasn't given to me and I'm not gonna take it for granted. So if they think I'm just gonna come and lay down and try to take a tech, definitely get my hand raised and I'm gonna put every single thing into it that I have, you know what I'm saying? I'm dedicated, I'm motivated. And uh, I have beat champions, former champions, former UFC guys. So it just tell you that, you know, I belong here. I have earned my way here. And, you know, I didn't, like, get up and just said, complain. I just, I was just patient. Whatever they wanted me to do, if they wanted to fight another fight, I will fight another fight. I, I didn't complain, you know. I just put in my work. And, you know, it's it come to here where I'm going to get what I deserve. Can you talk about maybe your confidence level throughout this journey? Because you're right, when you break down all the fighters you fought, the, the most impressive thing to me are the skill sets. You have some of the best guys, some of these high level skill sets in grappling, striking, wrestling. Uh, you've been through a lot of that. What does that do for your confidence level now going into a fight like this? Well, it, that's what braids me to be this guy who I am and know that. I have to beat Jason Jackson the night of the fight. And um, most of the guys in that I fought, I, I, it's just my, my skill to adapt. You know, I was, I'm just a good person at adapting. And it's not like I knew I had those skills. I had to find out the moment when I fought guys like Neymar Gracie and went to the ground. I'm not a judicial practitioner. And the fact that I, I was willing to, to find out in there, fight against guys like Paul Dale with the power, you know, I, I was always willing and able to go find out. And you know what they say, once there's a will, it's a way. And that's why I am the guy who I am, the ass-kicking machine. George talked about that training room that you're in. It's just full of killers everywhere. Um, when you look at Amosov and his career, where do you think he ranks globally in the world um, as far as what he's been able to accomplish and where he's at today? Yaroslav is, is one of the best welterweight on this planet, if not the best welterweight on the planet, because the, the record that he brings to the table and the skill set, he knows how to win fights. And yeah, he's been fighting for a while. He fought a lot of tough guys, you know what I'm saying? So I will say he up there in the rankings. You have guys right now in the UFC, like, you know what I'm saying, Chef got Gilbert Burns and guys like that, you know what I'm saying, that, they're good. So I, it's a lot of guys in our room that, you know what I'm saying, that definitely could put up on the pedoscope with him. So 
I'm going to consider that he's one of the best, if not the best. At USA Today and MMA Junkie, we have him at number five. We rank the world, not just the UFC. We rank PFL, Bellator, one championship. So, yeah, man, we know 27-0 is quite the resume. He's got some title defenses. Um, he doesn't lose very many rounds. He's, he's pretty, uh, a pretty amazing fighter. And you, along with that streak you have, you have an excellent record. Man, that could really catapult you up there as well. That's got to feel pretty good. Right, right. So once I beat this guy, where that puts me? That is a good question, and I'll have to figure it out. Um, you know, and I'm happy to do it, man. On November 20th, we'll release our rankings that week, and we'll see. Um, but, hey, at least you know there's a target. You got to get that O off him, that title off him, that ranking off him. I mean, you must you, – I gotta, I gotta imagine you probably want to feel fight tonight. Uh, are you? How prepared are you? Is, is like, did you go one hundred and twenty percent for this camp? Well, I put everything in it. I cross all my T's and dot all my I's because that's what. When I go there, there's nothing that no one can say. Hey, this guy didn't put his all into it, and I strive on adversity. And when it comes time to shine, I'm always gonna prevail above the odds you know what i'm saying because i'm gonna be the guy and one thing i know i am not afraid i am not afraid to go in there and find out i don't have nothing to lose i have everything to win everything to gain from this fight so i'm excited i'm looking forward to it i tell you jason this might be a reach and if it is just say that's a reach bro but is there anything to the couple of losses that you've taken have been att related i don't know if there's still the rivalry or what because you're an og i'm asking right but will it feel good to also like i say the title give them that first oh you know everything that comes with it but it, would it be nice as do you carry any of that as well no because i i, I have more victories over my top three than losses so i never really look back at that a fight is a fight mm -hmm. you know fight is a fight to me so i will say it's a reach Okay. Um, let me ask you something about how talented your room is. There's a lot of killers in your room. And I've been following the Ian Gary story where he kind of left, went to another gym. Uh, it seemed like he wasn't welcome there as well. How, do you, how have you been able to manage fighting, training with all these high-level fighters, but also, I guess, keeping the, the bond, the friendship, the respect and, and not having a split, which not only can affect you and the other guy, but also the coaches. Well, I've been around for such a long time. I've been there since the beginning. And I'm already used to the fact that people come and go. So it's not that I take to the head or anything. People just come and go, just just like a job. Show uh -huh. must go on. So I, I never really look too much into it or take it personal. You know, most of the people are just co-workers. Yeah. Well, the good thing is, like I say, you are been there for such a long time. I imagine there's some seniority, and you got a good foundation there with Henry Hooft and the rest of the guys. One other tough question here, but it's reality. We have to deal with it. This could be a final event for Bellator, and you might actually be the final fight. Now, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the name continues elsewhere. Who knows? I don't know. But has that in any way uh, interrupted your training, you know, kind of like a little bit of the uncertainty at all? No, I feel good because you know why? I was like, Bellator is pretty smart. They say the best for the last. 
Why not? To, why not go out like that? If that's Look the way at they you. go out. That's quite the answer. I love it. I love it. Hey, look, it's a fabulous promotion. We all hope they keep going somehow. Um, but this is an outstanding card in Chicago, Illinois. Two title fights, you know, uh, some Grand Prix stuff going on. It's really, really stacked. I'll be tuning in. And, folks, I encourage you all to tune in. And this cat has really put in some work. He's been some top names. He deserves his title shot, and it's against the proper champion. So tune in. And, Jason, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. And it's always been a pleasure to come on MMA Junkie and discuss with you guys, you know. Thank you so much for giving us a platform to, you know, connect with the audience and everything. I really appreciate hey, it. Thank you, man. Those are some kind words, and we appreciate it. One last thing. Are you a Top Boy fan? Top Boy, what's that? On Netflix. You don't know what that is? Oh, oh no. <laughs> you gotta check it out, I, man. It, it's that boy. I don't. No, I don't. The the UK and Jamaica. Uh, yeah, that, that's why I started oh, with Wagwam, brother. It. But I okay, think it went over your head. <laughs> no, because I, I mean YouTube been kicking Netflix, but so a bit more on YouTube. So YouTube's so rocking. I, but, but I'm telling you, Netflix. It's only three seasons, and I guarantee you, after the fight, you'll be you'll be telling the Bellator guys, "Hey, put me back on Junkie. I got to give those guys a fist bump." Because that's All one right. hell of a series. Now I'm going to check it out tonight for sure. 100%. Top boy. You'll love Top it. Boy. I promise All you. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Take care, Jason. All right, Thank you guys it. again. And Thank appreciate you, it. Hmm. Well, at least he had a nice answer to the question, right? Say the best for last. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poor guy, though. If he wins, at least he gets the belt off a of champ. I think that's so big when you can take it from the undisputed. That kind of helps catapult you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if you can put that O. On Yaroslav's record, that would be pretty amazing. The only thing battle. is, is if, Bell, if Bellator doesn't stick around, he wouldn't have his first title defense. That's kind of a bummer, but that's just the hand he's been dealt. Um, we have, we've known that guy for a long time, and he's on a roll right now. So thank you for the time, Jason Jackson. Uh, all right, a few more things here. So there will be a watch along for Bellator, sorry, UFC 295 on November 11th. Tune in. We'll go back to doing nine fights. Uh, there's no time change or anything like that. That's why we did it. It wasn't because I was in South America. It was because the fight started really early in uh, Abu Dhabi. And so that's why we only kind of covered the last five. But the watch along is on for November 11th. Nine fights total, 8 Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for that. We'll uh, keep reminding you as we get closer to the event. This one's... Just kind of an update, and I'll read because because it has to do with legal language. Let me just read it. Plaintiff strike key win in UFC antitrust lawsuit after judges denied defendants appeal. The plaintiffs, everybody, would be that group of fighters like uh, I think it's Brandon Vera and Kung Lee and Josh John Fitch and Randy Couture versus the defendant who in this case is the UFC. So here's, here's what the article reads. A pair of judges have denied the UFC's request to appeal class certification in its ongoing antitrust lawsuit. In August, the lawsuit filed in 2014 by former UFC fighters seeking damages from the promotion was granted about class certification in the U.S. District Court in Las Vegas. The UFC's legal team said they anticipated the decision and planned to appeal the decision by federal judge Richard Boulware. Um, 
In response, the plaintiffs filed a 30-page opposition brief in September stating the promotion appeal did not address extensive evidence in support of class certification. In a one-page document filed Wednesday, two judges with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals denied the appeal request from the promotion's attorney. The decision is a key win for the plaintiffs who include, oh, here we go, former UFC fighters Kung Lee, John Fitch, Kyle Kingsbury, Brandon Vera, amongst others. Um, here's what Kung Lee had to say about it on X, formerly Twitter. The Ninth Circuit has denied the UFC's request to appeal our class certification order on to trial. We are making progress in court. Now we need at Senator Mullen uh, help to get us the same legal protections as boxers, which allows them to compete in sport. Um, shall I continue? Is this okay? Sure. Okay, it's almost over. The former fighters allege that the UFC suppressed fighter pay through anti-competitive tactics, such as shutting out competition and controlling the market for top-level fighters from 2010 to 2017. They seek 811 million to 1.6 billion in damages from the Las Vegas-based promotion, which could apply to 1,200 fighters during the time period alleged in the uh, in the lawsuit. Judge Bulware previously stated. He intends to make the case a priority, hoping to hold the trial in March or April of 2024. That's around the time of UFC 300, by the way. Uh, he says, a decade after the initial filing. The rejection of the UFC's appeal means the case is one step closer to reaching trial, although there are more hurdles to be cleared. The promotion is also dealing with another antitrust lawsuit headed by Cajun Johnson, Cajun Johnson, excuse me, who fought from the UFC from 2014 to 2018. The case is similar to the one headed by Lee. However, it covers fighters who competed from June of 2017 to present day. One thing I think I want to throw in, although I'm not sure, but I think these damages can be tripled, goes. Um, mm-hmm. So that $811 million to $1.6 million, I, I think they can triple when it has to do with these class action lawsuits, but I'm not positive, so I'm just kind of throwing that out. There's a Scooby, sca- sc- uh, Scooby snack from a guy that's definitely not, not a lawyer. Um, and the last thing I want to say is regarding b- about class certification, um, that means that they can collectively file suit against the UFC for alleged violation, uh, violations of antitrust laws. So I believe that's going as a group, as a group versus uh, maybe going individually or something like that. But I remember yeah. this. That, that that was the definition a while back. All persons who competed in one or more live UFC promoted MMA bouts taking place or broadcast in the United States from December 16 to 2010 to June 30, 2017. Uh, the bout class excludes all persons who are not residents or citizens of the United States unless the UFC paid such persons for competing in a bout fought in the United States. So a Russian or Brazilian who is not a citizen of the United States or resident of the United States, if they fought in the United States, then they can be a part of this. So that was kind of the deal with that. Um, if you read the article on MMA Junkie, it'll take you to links if you want to know a little bit more of that. And I, I, always a shout out to John Nash, who works for Bloody Elbow. He seems to be a guy that covers this very, very well and does a lot of other extensive reporting. Nothing wrong with uh, giving respect to the competitor, but mm-hmm. like I say, he does do 
a good job with that. So it goes closer to trial for these guys. I think I did the math one time, and I thought each fighter could individually um, make a million. Yeah. Who would say no to that, right? I believe, yeah, I, I think I did it once, the 1,200 fighters, if they did triplicate their their the winnings. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, look, if we, let's just say they won 811 million. 811 million. What's that? That's 8 point, oh, that's 81 million. Yeah, divided by 1,200 fighters is... Six hundred and seventy-five thousand. So maybe I did the one point six billion. If they did that, mm -hmm. yeah, um, that that wouldn't be the end of the world for each fighter, I guess. Oh. If all twelve hundred fighters are in this, but that that's what they fought for 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 bout class certification. Yeah, it's crazy the amount of time and effort that's gone into this, and I really hope uh, you know there are some people that are on the battlefield. There's some people that just kind of signed up and I think are on the outside looking in, but the people that the generals out there that are really out there slugging it out have been through a lot. You know, Kung Lee, Randy Couture, Carlos Newton, guys like that, uh, John Fitch. They have really, really gone out there and, and put themselves on the line, their careers, their gyms, everything uh, mm -hmm. to get what they feel like they deserve, what's right. Yeah, what do you think of Benil Darius versus Armin Sarukian in Austin in December? That's that's a great matchup. I, I like it. Yeah, I think I think it was great mat matchmaking. That definitely allows Benil to get back in the mix, and for Armin Sarukian, that's a high profile fighter that can mm -hmm. put put him in that uh, that sphere to you know possibly challenge Islam Makhachev. And, I wouldn't uh, be shocked. I wouldn't mm -hmm. be shocked if that was the exact wording in that war room when they put that together because that's what that is it's very clear and don't you like it it's kind of pure right the guy that's kind yeah. of coming up versus the guy that just got notched down a little bit by charles Oliveira. they're kind of meeting i think it's fair i didn't think that benil darius on eight fights shouldn't have already fought for the title but that's in the past he already did and he lost uh to Oliveira. but that's good matchmaking i like that right there uh, you know so even though he shit on them earlier that I believe is solid. Mm -hmm. And lastly, speaking of Randy Couture, he's number eleven on our list of the thirty greatest UFC fighters in history. We've done a thirty fighter countdown since I think October twelfth, leading into November eleventh, uh, counting down the thirty greatest fighters. It's been controversial. There's been some battles going on in the Instagram comments, X comments, Facebook comments, but it's been fun and respectful. And I've been proud of what we've done, and it's been kind of cool to see that uh, go down. Yeah, I can't wait for the opportunity where we can all just maybe even share our own personal lists because we all made our own lists mm -hmm. and then just kind of elaborate a little bit more on why certain decisions were made. There was one guy that told me, well, then where's Sakuraba? He better be up there because he beat all the Gracies. Slow down, pal. Everything he you just said is the truth, all right? But he's 1-0 in the UFC. All right, he only had one fight in the UFC. That's it. This is the the list. Did you not pay attention of the great thirty greatest fighters in the UFC? He beat Hoist outside the UFC. Then he lost to Hoist once when they were both like fifty years old. Um, mm -hmm. But that one fight that happened happened overseas. It happened in Japan. 
the one that went 180 minutes and they threw the towel in or whatever. But I, fair point. He is a Gracie killer. That's why he deserves that name. He's a legend, Hall of Famer, everything. But listen to what the name of the contest is or whatever this is, a countdown, tribute. Um, and Hoist won three tournaments. That's like winning three titles. And in each tournament, he had to do at least three per night, open weight class, submitted everyone, different types of chokes as well. And one of them, he had to do four in one night. That's yeah. why that dude was at number 13 or something like that. Uh, 12. And Randy Couture is 11. And the countdown's on. And goes, what did we say about your 30, 30, 30 food, best food countdown? Did we? We, we brought it up the yeah. other day, I think. Yeah, if you want uh, next show, I'll I'll figure out where we left off and I'll I'll fill in the gap there. Give us your number thirty to twenty one in the next show. All right. Well, I can do it right now if you want. Yeah, give us thirty through twenty one. Goes is these are the best foods. Do you want to define it? Define it in any way, or is this a goes list? Or you and some top chefs got together, or what happened? Um, it's kind of a me list mixed with. I guess my criteria are the popularity of the food, you know, like just there's certain foods that I probably wouldn't have ranked as high, but I can't deny that people love these dishes. So it's a mixture of of everything. You know, there's a few that I probably will have close to the top that maybe some people have never even uh, had before, but it is a goes list. So I have to make an exception here and there, but I'm not going to throw duck on orange as number four. Like, who the fuck's had that right so it's got to be things that i think people are somewhat familiar with and uh so 30 is ropa vieja it's a cuban dish number 29 is chicken tikka masala number 28 chicken wings the appetizer ish and soups and sandwiches are going to be more towards the top because you know some of them have become proper meals like wings but uh, I don't know that that's main eventing on anybody's day. Patsy U comes in at 27. That's another Thai dish. Fish and chips came in at 26. Not that popular here in the States, but it is. Yeah, you were quite generous in, in my in my book on that one. <laughs> uh, ramen comes in at 25. Lobster roll comes in at 24. Chicken parmesan, 23. Ooh, Paella is uh, 22. Lobster bisque is 21. Is that what you want, wanted me to stop? Yeah, I think that's good. And then the next show, maybe you can do uh, 20 through 11. And then depending on where we match up, I think it'd be pretty good that that last show, maybe the last show before UFC 295 or the Monday after UFC 295, we can set aside to, because we'll know that we'll have the culmination of our 30 greatest fighters list and so then you can reveal maybe we'll split that into two fives but yeah we'll do uh 20 to 11 on the next one and let's see if you guys have any feedback on goes list but with that folks we're out of here thank you to jason jackson for his time the bellator team i know it's got to be tough for them man to hear that type of stuff but it's reality and we have to deal with reality um there's some fine people like a Burt Watson and a Scott Coker and a Danny Brenner and his team, Jim, that helps us out a lot, uh, CJ. 
And if something were to happen, obviously we would do everything we can to promote these people to land, you know, in similar jobs or whatever, but stay in the industry. Cause it's all about having good people in the industry. And those are some pretty good people. They've proven themselves anyways. Uh, again, thank you, Jason Jackson. Thank you all for listening to our show. We will catch you on Monday. Uh, don't forget to watch along on the 11th and don't forget every Monday, a live, uh, Spinning back click, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We're out of here. Go out and be a champion.